This is KX In Depth. I'm Rob Archer, along with Charles Feldman. That you took the words right out of your right mouth. Right out of my mouth. The state sues a school district here in Southern California, challenging its gender identity disclosure policy. We go in depth. We're such in sync. Yeah, we are. We are. We're very we're, much in sync. We're like a well-oiled machine. Yes. Like an old automotive engine that's inside a jet airliner. That's a stretch. Thank you. <laughs> Self-checkout machines at the supermarket might be contributing to the loneliness epidemic. Also going to have some secrets and tips from a top veterinarian how to keep your favorite pets happy. And maybe you won't be so lonely because you can keep them by your side a little bit longer. Well, of course, if you go to the supermarket, you're going to be lonely. I mean, yeah. what, are, what are you going to do? You know, like talk to a cabbage? Uh, talk to pe- people? Yeah, well, oh, no, no, I don't, like don't that, do no. that. No, not the supermarket I go to. We start with the uh, state suing the Chino Valley School District over its gender identity disclosure policy. Christy Hurst is co-founder of Our Schools USA, and she's a former teacher with the district and mother of three children in the district. Christy, thanks for being with us. Oh, thank you for having me. <clears throat> so, so talk to us a little bit about uh, the you know what you know of the lawsuit from the state and your position about it. Um, well, I am appreciative that the state is taking this seriously and is stepping in to protect children. Um, I know, you know, I'm a, I'm a parent of three kids. I'm a former teacher in this district, and I know educating children works best with engaged parents and caring teachers working together to create a safe space for all children to learn. And this policy does the opposite of that. This policy has done nothing more than make students and parents afraid to return to school and be in school every day, and it's wrong. Has anyone, so far as you know, ever raised the issue of, you know, uh, a teacher or a school official has to report on the child, the child identifies as something other than what's on their birth certificate? Uh, Why the teachers don't also have to report on a child who identifies as a boy when he was born as a boy. Why Why is it only on those who want to identify as something other than uh, what they appear to be? I mean, I think that's a very good question. And it's a question that um, we have ourselves in the community has. So why, why is it just this um, population of students? Uh, and that fact makes this policy seem discriminatory on its face, on its surface. Well, don't you think that this is all, to a large degree, politics, or, or maybe you don't think that? Um, I think there is. I don't think. I mean, I have read about this and consumed it, and I am a national organization I run, and so I'm talking to communities across the country, um, and we're seeing this everywhere from New Jersey to Texas to California, And there is definitely, this is not an organic bottom-up movement. This is a top-down movement where people who work for these big think tanks have come in and decided that gender ideology is going to be the, quote, um, problem in schools. Uh, You even saw at the Moms for Liberty Summit in Philadelphia, um, a Heritage Foundation um, former employee admitted that he came up with this idea to make gender ideology a issue that they should tell parents this is an issue in school. Uh, They went further to describe how they got a group of 40 people together and began to push this messaging out. This is a top-down problem, and they are manipulating parents and capitalizing on the fears of parents uh, to get them motivated to vote. 
Uh, by the way, the district uh, did send us a statement here at KNX, and it says in part that the district is working with legal counsel to review the lawsuit. Also, says district personnel have been working with, uh, they call it, complete transparency in providing Attorney General Bunt's office with requested documents and records. And it says that the uh, superintendent spoke with the DOJ's legal counsel weekly to confirm the district was providing requested files, which had changed several times from the original subpoena. So that's the district's uh, statement on that. Uh, is it your impression, your experience, that the majority of parents at this particular school are supportive of what the school district is doing or are siding with the attorney, the state attorney general? They are siding with the state attorney general. Um, that's news to me that the district's working with the attorney general's office, and I really hope it's true. Um, I do know that our board president is today in Sacramento for the third consecutive Monday and is on a national media tour, um, all while skipping an actual board meeting. Uh, She's not talking to students and parents in our community. She's soaking up her media attention and ignoring the needs of the people she has sworn to protect. Um, I am here talking to parents and students, many of them who are scared to go to school with this policy in place. All right. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Chrissy Hurst, co-founder of Our Schools USA. She's a former teacher with the district, also a mother of three children in the district. Close to a month ago, Warner Brothers predicted an end to the Hollywood strikes in early September. Well, if you look on the calendar, and I'm looking at one right now, we're almost into September, and there is no sign The strikes are even close to being over. Brian Steinberg is the senior TV editor for Variety. Brian, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. So what do you think? Uh, The Warner Brothers prediction, is it going to happen? Well, it was certainly rosy and optimistic, but we are getting closer early September. There have been some talks, but there's some optimism about coming back to the table with the writers. But the exchange of offers seems to have fallen flat this time. We're we're back to having an impasse. Uh, how close are we to the point at which the studios or maybe the creator side as well look at this and go, this can't go on anymore? Uh, are well, we near that point I mean, yet? The, the longer this goes on, the, the less money coming in from both sides. Now, the, the networks, TV studios, the studios have, have content that's still ready to go out there. You still see movies being released. There are new TV shows the fall season. Well, a lot of it, it at least in TV, is reality programming, curated stuff. That hasn't been seen by bigger audiences and sports and news. So um, the longer this goes on, we get into Christmas, which is a critical selling season for advertising and audiences. That's going to be a problem. Well, uh, the problem being what? That that a year from now, year and a half from now, there's going to be nothing in the pipeline? Yeah, I mean, even around, I mean, the holiday season is a critical time for people to, to, to make big ad buys, reach bigger audiences. If, the, if TV can no longer deliver those big audiences that Coca-Cola and McDonald's want, why not just put everything in the digital? And, and they're going, you know, it, 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 you're teaching people uh, not to have the habit of going to the movies or watching TV at a regular time. Already in danger, by the way, by the, the rise of streaming. So it just, it just kind of accelerates a lot of the problems and behaviors that the, the medium is facing right now. So if this thing doesn't get settled soon, are we facing something existential here for the uh, TV, let's say the TV industry, Uh, the model already under a lot of uh, pressure to change as things move over to streaming? Could uh, regular TV go away as a result of not just this, but other pressures? 
Well, is, is it going to go away in time? No, it is, it is going to become diminished over time if this keeps up. And look, you're heading into a fall with no Saturday Night Live launching in September, October, with with fewer, no 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 more late night shows. Um, you know, no, you know, September goes to the playtime of, of brand new shows, new program, new series. So all these kind of behaviors that have been ingrained, at least for, for a certain generation, since, you know, for decades, are not going to take place unless this, this thing gets settled. And that kind of tells, you know, the older generation and the newer generation to go find something else to do. So are a lot of, like, high-paid TV executives lining up to jump off of roofs? <laughs> well, it is. It, it has not been a fun year. The TV business, certainly, between streaming, uh, Wall Street scrutiny of, of how this is all going, um, advertising. It's, it's not been the best year in the world. And I, I think it is going that we, we are in the, we are in the middle of an era of flux for this medium. And, and it is not going to stop anytime soon. You know, for most actors and writers, uh, they are writer people. They they work for that paycheck. And in many cases, they don't know when the next paycheck is coming. We all, uh, the rank and file of us, see the big stars, the big actors and the famous writers. And we think, well, they're doing fine. They can stay out of work forever. But at some point, that pressure is going to grow from the bottom up. Because I have some friends of mine who are in the industry and they are selling uh uh, prized classic cars that they had spent a lot of time and money on. They're selling. Uh, they're 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 having to leave their apartments and find something cheaper or or move in with friends. And after a while, that rank and file, the actor and the writer, that pressure is going to grow more and more intense from the other side, the union side as well, isn't it? I would think so. Again, it's not just the student; it's also the rank and file, and not just actors and writers, but but set designers and below-the-line workers who come to, you know, need productions to be there so they can earn their living, makeup artists and uh, gaffers, et cetera, et cetera. So, yes, this is a a, a crippling uh, development that is, is hurting more than just the two sides involved in talks. All right, Brian Steinberg, senior TV editor for Variety, talked about uh, these ongoing strikes when, if ever, they might end. Right now, though, a lot of people enjoy going to the supermarket, chatting up the uh, checkout clerk and other workers, but the uh, increase of those self-checkout lanes are making the shopping experience a lot less social, which can kind of be a downer for some people, especially but, for older people. But, you know, I was going to say, you know, the supermarket I go to, I, I don't want to <laughs> chat with the checkout person. She's awful. She's just ro- she's rotten. She really is. Other I, side of the thing. She's always like smirking. There's no reason yeah. to talk to her. Ever. Remind me to tell you the time of the uh, checkout person that recognized my voice. Oh, okay. And I'll tell you what happened. Right. Uh, Mary Dobson is a psychotherapist and CEO of Lift Wellness Company. Uh, thanks for joining us. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So is the reason that it's bad for your loneliness that uh, there's simply not that uh, checkout person that uh, you could talk to or, in Charles' case, not talk to? Well, you know, it's interesting, and I think it breaks down demographically and by generation. Um, What we're noticing is that a lot of our seniors are very lonely, and so they rely on these safe communications with people at the supermarket as a part of their social lives and part of the routine. And so by, by the supermarkets sort of trying to shuffle people off more and more, as they do, the bigger ones, to these self-checkouts, that, what, contributes to the loneliness because there's no one to talk to? Yeah, it's an interesting finding. Who would have thought that people were so dependent on these interactions with cashiers? But I think it just shows our humanity. People have such a desire to be seen and witnessed. And when they miss that opportunity, it it creates a void in their lives. Well, you know, I I was going to say, this rings a bell because when I was growing up uh, in New York, and this is a a while ago, 
Uh, they didn't have that many giant supermarkets. I remember going with my mother to a sort of small grocery store, right? And, you know, everybody knew each other. It wasn't that big. And the, there were two guys' brothers that ran the store. And it was kind of, now that I think back on it, it was kind of a social visit because my mother would go and she'd talk to them and they'd ask how the family was, you know, that kind of thing, as they were, you know, putting stuff into the bag for her that she was selecting. And, and I guess that doesn't happen now, does it? Right. You know, when you think about it, that created a sense of normalcy for your mom. That was a part of her routine. And, you know, nowadays there's sort of a uh, you could be anyone. There's an anonymity when you go into a grocery store and you're doing the self-checkout. There's no one to sort of give you a warm smile and to greet you and ask maybe how your pets are doing or how your family member is doing that, you know, could be ill. And so as a result, you know, people are really sort of missing that little semblance of normalcy that they counted on. Um, I think post-COVID, you know, we really started to appreciate how much those interactions meant to us. And so to be losing them now to automation, you know, is, is really tough for some folks. And it's kind of a symptom, though, of what's happening uh, in a more large sense in society because, you know, people don't really talk on the phone anymore. They're, they're texting. And while you are texting with another person, one hopes, uh, you aren't speaking to them. There's not the, 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 the voice contact is not there. And, of course, so now we're dealing with AI when we call in for uh, customer help. We're talking to a computer system. So this is kind of really just goes along the same way. And it's not just older people. Isn't this really going to begin affecting all of us at some point and change the way we view other people? Maybe have a little less empathy for others. Right, right. Well, and that, that's what the um, article in the LA Times was talking about, too, this sort of idea of weak ties, which are these uh, warm, low-stakes relationships that are kind of important for maintaining our well-being. Um, we don't really realize how important they are until we're missing them. Um, so conversations on the phone with people, little interactions throughout the day that may seem inconsequential but add up to something meaningful by the time we're laying our head on the pillow at night. I'm curious, uh, do you have an elderly uh, father or mother, Mary? You know, I have my, interestingly, when I um, when I saw this story, I was instantly reminded of my father-in-law who regularly goes to the grocery store. Yes. Um, he routinely goes to the grocery store, sometimes for just one or two things, because he's been retired for some time, uh, but he's very social. And so he goes and he knows all of the cashiers. They ask of him. They talk to him about his health. Um, and he has these nice interactions with with them that he will recount to us as, hmm. as though they were social interactions. Sure. And, and so he would obviously miss that interaction greatly if all of a sudden the story went to said, no, no, uh, we're getting rid of our cashiers, just use the self-checkout over there in the corner. Right. There there would absolutely be a a missing component to his routine. All right. Mary uh, Dobson, thank you so much for uh, speaking with us. A psychotherapist, CEO of Lyft Wellness Company. Talk about, you know, self-checkout lanes. Maybe it makes us more lonely. I have had some interesting run-ins with checkout people. Like? Uh, there was a time I had to stop by the grocery store on the way home, right. and I only had to get a couple of items, and I think it looked suspicious <laughs> because I bought uh, a thing of bananas and right. a lighter. Ah. <laughs> so I got the dirty look, and she said, uh, she said some, made some kind of crack about, oh, you're having a weird party tonight. I said, no, it's just a couple of things I needed. And then she stopped and she looked at me and she said, I recognize your voice. Oh, and I said, oh, well, I am on the radio. And she said, yeah, you're on KNX, right? And I said, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, I am. And then she looked at me and then said, 
you look nicer on the radio. <laughs> the last part didn't happen. <laughs> and then they I, probably charged you yeah, more, I too. Yeah, charged me more. Can't, last part didn't happen. I made the last part up. You're listening to KNX In-Depth along with Rob Archer. I'm Charles Feldman. A little programming note, by the way. You know, they always say, take it to City Hall. City Hall, though, will come here on Wednesday. Uh, we'll have a sit-down with L.A. Mayor Karen Bass, 1 o'clock. If you have a uh, dog or cat or another pet, do you spoil them? Uh, I know the answer in my case, definitely. Uh, You might say, no, I can't imagine that. But most people these days treat their pets just like regular human family members, sometimes better. (laughs) Sometimes better, yes, absolutely. That means they want their pets around as long as they're human family members. Here to help explain how to keep your dog or cat healthy and alive as long as possible is America's favorite veterinarian, Dr. Gary Richter. He's the founder of Ultimate Pet Nutrition, author of two new books that are out today. They're called Longevity for Dogs and Longevity for Cats. One has a has dogs on the cover, one has cats, so take your pick. Doctor, Smart to separate them. <laughs> yeah. Doctor, thanks for being with us. It is a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So, you know, uh, when I was growing up, there was a different relationship, I think, uh, that many families had uh, with their with their pets. Uh, you know, they didn't in those days, you know, they didn't really take their pets to, unless the pet, the animal was very, very sick, they didn't go to vets a lot, they didn't, you know, they didn't splurge, they kept the pet, they treated them well, and, you know, if the pet got ill and they died, they died. Sure. I, mean, I mean, that's very honest, that's the way they, they did it. Right. But people have changed their attitudes. Why is Why did that happen? Why did that happen? I mean, I think, I think for so many people, pets are family uh, now. Some of that may have to do with the fact that um, people are having kids later or not at all. Uh, so in many cases, their pets are their children. Um, but I think that just over the years, just culturally, things have changed. Uh, and and most people, uh, you know, really just look at their dogs or their cats or their pets as members of the family and they, they treat them as such. So let's get right into it. Uh, what you're here to talk about, longevity for your uh, pets. Top line, right off the top. One thing that if somebody doesn't listen to the rest of the segment, which I can imagine why somebody would not do that, uh, (laughs) that you could say very quickly how to keep your dog alive longer and how to keep your cat alive longer. So uh, same thing as it would be for us as people, feed them a properly balanced, fresh, whole food diet. Uh, Nutrition is the cornerstone to good health and longevity, period. But so the the store-bought, you know, what, what do you want to call it? Uh, garbage? <laughs> Slop. <laughs> Slop. Not good enough. So, yeah, I mean, kibble and canned, it is it is by anybody's definition highly processed food and comes with it all of the the issues that, that we as people have with highly processed food. So there's only so much we can expect to get out of our pets when they're eating those kinds of foods. So, again, fresh whole foods, just like with us as people, are really the thing that's going to help them thrive for the long term. And I, I would guess the next thing or somewhere on the list is going to be exercise. With dogs, you, you're taking the dogs out for a walk, one hopes. Yep. Uh, what about exercise for cats? Playtime? Yeah, absolutely playtime. I'm a very big advocate for keeping cats indoors. Safer for the cat, safer for the other creatures outside, birds, wildlife, what have you. So keeping your cat indoors and really engaging them in regular playtime, whether that's uh, playing with a toy uh, or treats or whatever it may be, whatever sort of gets your cat uh, involved. And then, of course, if you have more than one cat, a lot of times they kind of self-exercise by chasing each other around. You know, I, I know people who 
let their cats out yeah. at, at night and they kind of go on, I don't know, whatever cats do at night. Yeah, right. And then they come back and, mm-hmm. and that's dangerous, isn't it, it? It is incredibly dangerous. I mean, the statistics of the lifespan of cats that spend time outside are just frightening. Uh, it's the, your your average outdoor cat lives a handful of years. Because they get hit by a car or something? Hit or? by a car, attacked by an animal, um, accidentally poisoned because people leave like rat bait or whatever it may be out. I mean, there's so many potential hazards out there. Now, in my house where we have uh, two cats... Well, I have enjoyed a dog uh, before, too, but right now it's two cats. Uh-huh. Did the cats uh, get rid of the dog? Yeah, uh, No. no. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Just it checking. Was, it was a coup. Um, uh, no, we have the two cats. Now, I spoil the cats more than my wife does. For uh-huh. example, if the cats are sitting on the couch, I sit around the cats. I uh-huh. don't move the cats. My wife will move the cats. Uh, who is doing better for the cat? Is it me or my wife? Shouldn't we spoil them? I feel like I'm getting in in between a very dangerous place here. Um, But, I mean, from the standpoint of, like, sort of working around the cats in the house, I mean, I don't know that there's a right or a wrong answer to that. It's really more about diet, exercise, lifestyle, and then ultimately medical care that that are sort of the keys to health and longevity. Where, Where does the country stand in terms of health insurance for pets? Because I do know people who have pets and endlessly complain Mm -hmm. on the expense of, you know, they want to do right by the pet. They do things, I mentioned earlier, that in the old days they didn't do things like that, but now they want to get an MRI for the dog or they want to get a CAT scan for the the cat, I guess, right? Cats can make sense. Uh, But it's expensive. Right. Yeah, you know, I mean, I've been a veterinarian for 25 years, and the great thing about medicine, even in the period of time that I've been a veterinarian, is there's been amazing advancements in the kinds of diagnostics and treatments that are now available for animals. MRIs and CAT scans are a great example. Uh, Not surprisingly, these things come at a price. Uh, It is expensive to provide these these services. Uh, Generally speaking, veterinarians are, 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 you know, not living on yachts and, you know, in Hawaii. Uh, It's just an expensive service to to provide. Uh, So to your question, Uh, Pet insurance is a really, really great idea. I'm a huge, huge fan of pet insurance. There's nothing more tragic as a veterinarian than when we see somebody make life or death decisions based on what they can pay for. Uh, So, you know, you know, insurance to me is it's the one gamble that you make in life that you hope you lose. Uh, but the reality is, is that if, you know, if you have your pet or if you or your pet lives long enough, you're not going to lose that bet. But, but is there good pet insurance? Oh, yes. There are excellent pet insurance policies out there now. Um, you know, and, and, you know, when picking a pet insurance policy, it's really no different than sort of picking a policy for us from the perspective of you just have to figure out, you know, what do you want your premiums to be relative to your deductible and coverage limits and pre-existing conditions and all the kind of stuff that we have to think about with our own health insurance. And it's just a question of figuring out what works for you. Like some people, they want everything covered. Needless to say, that's going to cost you more than if you just want big catastrophic stuff covered, but you're willing to spend a few hundred bucks, maybe in a few thousand bucks here and there. Um, But, you know, all of a sudden, if something big happens and you have a $15,000 bill, you want to make sure that gets covered. Doctor, you know, when in the height of the uh, COVID pandemic, I remember we used to get uh, a lot of uh, either emails or text messages from listeners, and they were concerned mm-hmm. that either uh, because news had spread that that animals can get uh, the COVID virus, right? 
And there was a concern that either they would have COVID and give it to their pets who would then get very sick and die, or people would say, you know, if my dog or cat gets the COVID virus, are they going to give it to me? What's the story on that? So, you know, the story is, is, is COVID is, is it would be what we would describe as an aberrant infection in a dog or a cat. So it's not, it's not the host that that virus really wants to be in. Uh, you know, if an animal re- gets exposed to a very high level of virus, is it theoretically possible that they could be infected? It is. Um, they rarely get seriously ill. Um, the odds of them then turning around and transmitting it to a person are are quite slim. Uh, I would say the only time where maybe that's a concern is if somebody is already immune suppressed for some other reason. Um, other than that, uh, I mean, quite honestly, you know, as a as a real world problem, COVID in dogs and cats is not really anything to worry about. Uh, you touched on this uh, briefly in the last segment, but uh, pets, the saying goes, are an investment in heartbreak <laughs> because almost every time you're going to outlive the pet. You're going to have to go through that moment. So sure. uh, you're here helping us help our pets live longer. But at some point we have to uh, get to that point of uh, end of life care. Now, I have known some people who loved their pets, uh, like a family member, the pet was ill, was not doing well, and the person did everything they could to keep that pet alive. But mm-hmm. as it appeared to me from the outside, the, the pet was suffering. When we get to that point of having to say goodbye, how do we, how do we know? What's the best thing that we can do? Because in my experience, I had a very good veterinarian who could not tell me it was time to let go Fortunately, I knew because I had made that decision ahead of time. I'm not going to let my pet suffer any longer than it has to. But a lot of people don't know when that moment is. How do we know when we're there? Yeah, I mean, that's that's an incredibly difficult place and an incredibly difficult decision. And I think that anybody in a in a calm and rational moment would say exactly what you said, which is we don't want them to suffer um, when you're in the middle of it, that's a much, much more difficult thing to recognize, uh, particularly when you're dealing with a situation where where it's a kind of a, a slow decline over time, where where, you know, today is not really that different than yesterday, nor will it be tomorrow. But slowly over time, things things deteriorate um, and that can be really, really difficult. And, and usually what I recommend that people do is, is you know, you Think about the kind of things that your pet has done in, you know, in their younger or healthier days that have been fun for them. Uh, And then really start to think about that through the lens of what are they doing now relative to that list of things that were fun for them. Uh, And really start to think about, you know, in your opinion, how many things are you willing to cross off that list before you feel like enough is enough? And you know what? I mean, the thing is, is that that decision of when to say goodbye is is in my opinion, about the most personal decision that a person can make. Uh, and it's not really necessarily under most circumstances my job as a veterinarian to put my foot down and tell somebody you must do this now uh, unless it's really egregious. Uh, but, you know, I think the best thing that you can do is in a calm and objective moment really start to lay out those parameters so down the road when things happen, you're a little bit more prepared to make those decisions. Well, let's back up uh, a lot uh, to way before the pet's ready to die, but they get hurt. And people have different responses to that. There are some people who, you know, rush for every little thing, just like some people do, I suppose, with their doctors. They rush their, their dog or cat to the vet at the slightest thing. And then there are other people who don't do enough, probably. 
Is there, you know, how do you know when it's time that your pet needs to see a vet? That's a great question. Uh, and, you know, to me, I think I think the answer to that question sort of lies in the, if it's something that you yourself would consider going to the doctor for if it were you, then probably you want to take your pet to the vet. And and I'll 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 do that one further to say that realize that dogs and cats by nature are going to hide illness and injury. Uh, you know, an animal in the wild that looks sick or injured is going to be targeted and eaten by a predator. So despite thousands of years of domestication, dogs and cats will do everything they can to look to make everything look fine even when it's not. So by the time they look sick, a lot of times they've been sick for a while. So my advice to people would be at the earliest sign of something not being right, that's the time to start thinking about bringing them in because by the time they're overtly sick, they're not eating, they're they're just really not acting right. They've probably been sick for a while and it in in some cases it's too late. Oh. By that point. Yeah, it's interesting what you say about animals cuz I'm the like I'm the opposite. You're the opposite. Yeah, if yeah. I have a hangnail, you hear me. I go. I'm moaning. <laughs> I'm going. Oh. Yeah, right. You know. Yeah. I'm very, I don't hide it at all. Yeah, I'm the I'm the same way. <laughs> I have a headache. I can't come to work today. Uh, thank you so much, Doctor uh, Gary Richter, for being here with us today. Out with uh, two new books, and they are very simply longevity for dogs and longevity for cats. Uh, I want to remind you that uh, coming up on Wednesday, right at one o'clock. Uh, We're going to be speaking with Mayor Karen Bass right here in the studio, and she's going to answer our questions, have a conversation with us, let us know what's on her mind. That's going to be Wednesday at 1 o'clock right here. That's it for KNX In-Depth. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back tomorrow.